0: Okay, welcome to Screening Room with Chet and D, or are hey, we calling it Chet and D Screening Room?
1: We're screening, doing screening with screening, screening, room screening Room, Screening Room with Chet and D,
0: with Chet and D, and,
1: and occasionally foster kittens.
0: That's right. And I'm Chet. And I'm D. Uh, and what we do on this show is we talk about movies, obviously, uh, mostly older movies. Um, I'm a boomer and a man
1: I'm a millennial and a female
0: And so we have some different perspectives on things We both like old movies, though Um, What we're going to talk about here We're not uh, uh, film school graduates We're not film critics We just really like movies But we're going to talk both about the stories of the movies. We'll talk a little bit about the artistry involved in making the movies, although we're, we're going to get out of our depth pretty quickly if we go too far in that direction. But we're definitely going to talk about the cultural significance of the movies, what they say to us. Because when you watch movies, even if you're watching silly, stupid movies, there's always something that you can learn from them. You can learn from the story itself. You can learn something about... The context in which the film was created, the time in which the film was made, and what was going on in culture and society at the time, and what was going on at the time that the movie is set, Uh, and it all has something to say to us. Sometimes it's something positive, sometimes it's something negative, sometimes it's reinforcing terrible stereotypes, sometimes it's challenging us to think about the world in different ways, and we're just going to kind of go through what those... Things are for us, what they said to us, how they affected us, and why we like these movies.
1: But before we get into that, this episode is brought to you by our sponsor, This Old Cat House.
0: Oh, This Old Cat House is possibly the best kitten rescue organization in upstate New York. Um, These people, uh, I believe their names are Chet and Dee. (laughs) Uh, take in kittens, usually uh, neonatal kittens. Dee actually does uh, all the work for this, uh, but raises these kittens and then uh, makes sure they're healthy. And uh, once they're ready, then puts them up for adoption.
1: And we just had an adoption from a like he was a feral street cat, so he had a straight yeah. he had a stray cat strut.
0: He did have a Stray Cat stride, definitely. So
1: he got adopted yesterday. Good life, buddy. Okay, so let's get into it.
0: Yeah. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, 2020. Um, So we thought, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, you got to talk about a football movie. And um,
1: We're not choosing Remember the Titans.
0: No, although that's a good film. We're not going to talk about Rudy. We're not going to talk about all the right moves. We're not going to talk about... The Longest Yard. There, Actually, there aren't all that many great football movies out there. The, I think the baseball movies are a little bit better. But there is one football movie that, for me, stands out far above all the others. And that is, of course...
1: 1971, Brian's,
0: Brian's Song. Song. Starring Billy Dee Williams and James Caan uh, and Jack Warden. Um, so we're going to talk about Brian's song today. Um and you know sometimes we may talk about movies and we might make fun of them a little bit, but there is um there's nothing to make fun of about no. this movie. It's uh one of our all-time favorites, certainly mine. I introduced D to this a few years ago and then we just rewatched it uh last night. And and do you like it D? Is it
1: is... I love it. You know, I didn't there's so much raw emotion right but mm-hmm. when when I was watching it here I have you know you're crying next to me you got men crying on the screen and I didn't even appreciate how actually huge that is you have you're going to go into what the story is but
0: Yeah, well, and one of the things is, when you first look this movie up, one of the things that people say about it is, this is the movie that men cry. It's a guy
1: cry movie. It's
0: a guy cry movie. But nobody,
1: it's a football movie, and you know, talk about locker room talk, you have this man that's barely able to hold it together, that his best friend has cancer, and he's crying, and nobody is like, toughen up, man, buck up. Yeah. Everybody's just somber, and they let this man cry.
0: Yeah. Oh, we uh, we're, we're going to talk and about that. He's not going to hold
1: it back. He's not holding it back, and I didn't appreciate it while we were watching it.
0: Yeah. And we're going to explain to you why this why is why he's crying. You want to know why cry he's crying. movie. And why and again, if you look this up, there are a lot of women who say, "Why is this the only men the, the only movie that that men cry at or at least the men that oh, I know?" It's huge. we're going to we'll, we'll explain that. Okay? Yes. Okay, but first a uh, quick synopsis of the movie. Okay, this is uh, We said this was made in 1971, but it's based on real-life events from just a few years prior to that. It's based on uh, a book written by Hall of Fame running back Gale Sayers called I Am Third. And it's about his friendship with Brian Piccolo, who was a teammate of Sayers on the Chicago Bears beginning in 1965 until, spoiler alert, Brian Piccolo's death in 1969. And so it tracks their time together from when they first meet at training camp in 1965. Um, and it ends with his death four years later. Um, again, it, it's a true story. And for the most part, it, it tracks pretty closely with real life events. They do take a few liberties with the story here and there when we may might talk about a few of those, but they're not uh, super important. For the most part, this is this is the way it is. And Gale Sayers, as we said, is um, one of the most famous running backs in NFL history. He had a pretty short career, and the movie shows that he has some injury problems. That's a huge part of the story. It's part of the reason that the friendship between the two uh, becomes so strong. And uh, because of this, it does shorten Sayre's career quite a bit. He really only plays about five years, and there's hardly anybody else in the NFL uh, that makes it to the Hall of Fame who plays as short a career as Gale Sayre. So it says a lot about just how incredible he was in, in the little bit of time that he played. Brian Piccolo, on the other hand, is not a star. He barely makes the team, and um, he has to fight to be just become Gale Sayre's backup And um, yet, even though they're competing, they become great friends. And one of the crucial plot points is that they become the first on on the Chicago Bears, the first black and white roommates, um, black and white teammates to room together when they're on the road. And this, of course, takes place as we said, in the late 1960s. So we need to keep in mind what's going on. This is um, the civil rights movement is at its peak. You've got both peaceful protests and um, people being attacked by police. Uh, later on, you're going to have terrible riots in cities. This is a time of extreme racial tension. And so the simple fact that we have uh, a black man and a white man sharing a hotel room when their team is on the road is a really, really big deal. Um, And again, that's part of what makes their friendship so remarkable and uh, part of what makes the movie so powerful. Um, Some other things to keep in mind about this movie. Uh, This was a made-for-TV movie. Uh, And so it looks a lot different than a typical film. And you just need to keep in mind, what does it mean when you say, I'm going to do a made-for-TV movie? Well, first of all, you know going in exactly how long this movie has to be. And it is only 74 minutes of screen time. And you can tell when you watch it, there are fade-outs for when the commercials were. When they were producing this film, they knew they had to incorporate the commercial breaks into the making of the film. They knew they only had 74 minutes because they had to squeeze it into a two-hour primetime uh, block. And so that, that really constricts what they're able to do with the story. But it's also, I think, part of the reason that the story is so good is because it is so lean and it's so tight. You don't have time for any wasted dialogue, wasted action. Every scene has got a accomplish what its uh goal is it's got to keep the the characters and the action moving forward and they succeed beautifully in in doing that so you're not going to see a lot of impressive cinematography you're not going to hear um although oh, there, there's a really nice theme song um that ends up becoming very very popular at the time but there's not a whole lot else that's going on with the the score. Um, there's not a lot of uh, just great artistry in the way that it's, it's made. It looks very much like a TV program. I'm sure most of the people who are writing, directing, and behind the cameras were doing more television work than they were film work. But uh, even though that, that doesn't add anything to the movie, it doesn't detract from the quality of, of, of the, the story itself. So th- this movie had a profound impact on me when I was a little kid. Again, I saw it when I was seven years old. And this is, again, 1971. One of the things you have to know about 1971, this was before they were selling replica jerseys. This is before the NFL figured out that they could make tons of money by selling like authentic-looking Chicago Bears jerseys to people. And before the players would have made any money off of that. In these days, if you wanted to wear a football jersey, you could look in the JCPenney catalog that came out at Christmas time and you could order yourself this generic football jersey and you could be, you know, white with blue numbers or red with white numerals or whatever. But you couldn't get an official jersey. And I wanted so much after seeing these highlights of Gale Sayers To be like Gail Sayers, that what I did is I got an old sweatshirt, and with my mother's permission, I took a permanent marker and I drew this huge 40 on the front and back of my sweatshirt. So that when I went out in the yard to play football all by myself, where I would run with my football and pretend to be tackled and throw the ball up in the air and catch it, I could do it all wearing what seemed to me to be an authentic Gale Sayers jersey. So
1: That is adorable.
0: That is adorable.
1: And a little side note, Chet ended up becoming a great running back for (laughs) (laughs) the Missouri Tigers, and he actually won the Heisman and went on to play for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he's since retired, but... Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't, you know, yeah, look me up on profootballreference.com, and you'll see, yeah, lots and lots written about Tons me. Tons of footage. Yeah. No, you know, no, none of that's true. Actually, when I was a kid, though, you know, when my when we would watch uh, football games on TV with my dad, and he was this big Cornhuskers fan, and I was a little kid, Uh he did say when he when he first told me that he had gone to Clemson university he he did say, "Oh yeah, I went to Clemson you know after I was in the Air Force, and uh yeah, I played football there led the led the nation in rushing uh my my senior year um but decided not to play in the n f l and like for oh, wow. for five seconds uh as a little kid, it's like Re- really <laughs> and then it's like, no. I mean, he didn't even have to tell me he was kidding. It's like, no, my dad's just, uh, he's he's just pulling my leg. But.
1: Well, we're excited to, we've been kind of protesting watching the NFL, but since mm-hmm. Chet's from Kansas City and it's been 50 years since the Chiefs have been to the Super Bowl, and we have a friend, Bikita. She's from Congo. She's going to be taking her citizenship test uh, in the next couple of weeks. So she called me and was like, Are you watching the Super Bowl? And I'm like, uh, No. And she's like, Well, how can you be American if you're not watching the Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're well, gonna... you got to
0: tell us that not only did we, we quit watching NFL games, partly because of the. Oh, you know, one other thing about Gail Sayers, um, this, he's still alive. But he is suffering from dementia now. And um, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of other former football players, probably because of football? playing football. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's fairly recent, I guess, that that's, that's come on. But uh, one of the things I w- was reading is that he, he has a hard time even signing his autograph
1: mm. now.
0: Um, so, anyway, that's part of the reason we quit watching. Football. Yeah, there
1: are a couple of reasons. Yeah. yeah. Political and...
0: The domestic violence stuff is yeah, there are a lot of different reasons, but don't worry yeah. about that. Don't,
1: you do yeah. what you want to do. This is just kind yeah. of our choice. So, yeah. But yeah, when you but have somebody that's going to be taking a citizenship test...
0: And they say... Who what knows? Can- Maybe there's a yeah. question
1: on the test where they'll ask who won Super Bowl. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I would feel kind of stupid if the Chiefs happened to win. I would feel a little stupid...
1: It's a little bit of history. Thinking
0: that, so. yeah, 50 years ago, yeah. I watched them beat the, the Vikings in the fourth Super Bowl um, to just not even tune in to any of the Super Bowl this year. Um, I'd feel a little dumb, like I'd missed something. Yes, it's yeah. a little
1: bit of history. So, Can we just talk about how big of a deal it is that you, what gets you to put two color numbers on a sweater
0: a sweatshirt? Sweat okay, sweat it's a sweatshirt. Oh dear! I don't know where you. you, you we always have this. It's a it's
1: sweater. A sw- sh- sweater schmetter.
0: A sweater is wool or acrylic. It could have a oh, V neck what? or whatever. Okay, a sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah.
1: A sweatshirt is what?
0: A sweatshirt like, is a made of. Is it a cotton? Ho- a hoodie is a type of sweatshirt. <laughs> Um, but well, yeah, a it's sweater
1: is a type of sweatshirt.
0: No, it's yes, not. it is. No, it's okay. Not. Well,
1: we'll put a poll. I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. Okay. Well, can we? Yeah.
0: Talk about so, how
1: you chose to put on the number of a black man.
0: Yeah, in the my, 70s. My, yeah, my um, didn't my even first think
1: twice about it.
0: Football hero. Um, yeah, big deal. Oh, and by the way, I just just looked it up. I was actually eight. It it came out in the fall. I had already turned eight by the time I saw this movie. Okay. So I was then it's the, not as cute. Yeah, it, I'm already in third grade. But I'm definitely in that fall. I'm the day after I watch this movie is when I'm putting that forty on my sweatshirt and I'm going out in the yard and playing football by myself wearing Gail Sayers jersey, which is actually this this sad looking. Turquoise sweatshirt <laughs> with this kind of brown number forty drawn on it, but that's not important. Um, but yeah, this on the one hand, this movie is is really important for what it says about race, and and certainly had a huge impact on me.
1: I would say it's why you cry. So I need to think. Brian's song for making
0: it to where suppose, you can show your emotions. I, I suppose, yeah. Um, but yeah, you think about 1971, I, I'm in living in the suburbs in Kansas City going to a school that's probably, at that time, still 99% white um, and have yet to make any black friends because I haven't really even met any to speak of but this film has a profound impact on me so when I do finally start having some classmates and then in junior high some teammates in football and uh, basketball uh, that are black for me this is part of I I want to be the Brian Piccolo who has these great friendships with um, with my black classmates and teammates. And so for me, this is, this is incredibly important. Um, on the other hand, I think one of the things that it says, and this is not a fault of the movie, but it kind of gives us this statement, and particularly in 1971, about race relations that kind of oversimplifies things. Where the problem between the races is is simply that white people and black people aren't interacting enough. The fact that there is still this natural segregation and there are no black and white teammates who are rooming together. And if only we got to know each other a little better, we'd find out that we have all of this in common and we'd break down these barriers. And, and there's, there's a tremendous amount of truth in that. But, of course, if you're going to talk about race and racism, it's a hell of a lot more complicated than that. There are really important things that have to happen on an individual level, and it is true that one of the best ways to break down uh Racial prejudice and and, uh, and, and and the barriers on an individual level are just getting to know people from different races and ethnicities and religions and backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. That's tremendously important, but then there are also all of these structural, systemic things that are happening. And so this film, it like it shows you the first step to take. As an individual, just to rethink and and open yourself up to meeting another individual from a different race. And again, tremendously important, but then learning about the bigger picture um, is also even more important, probably, or equally important. And that's... um, the the film doesn't really address this, and and again I think it's it's kind of interesting that even even Gail Sayer says uh, you know I wish they hadn't made quite so much of a big deal about the racial disparities. Well, Gail Sayers didn't do a, a, a ton of speaking and, and talking and activism. Again, he's a very private guy. He was a very religious guy and kind of a conservative guy in in his own right and didn't really get involved in uh the civil rights struggle and that kind of stuff at at least at the time. Um so it's it's important, it's it's groundbreaking, but it's um it's only part of the story it's, it's a first step to take on the way uh, to understanding but there's, there's a lot more that you, you have to learn and certainly there was a lot more that I had to learn um, going forward from this uh, I think another one of the reasons that this movie is so great um, you have just it's a very small cast but it is a fantastic cast uh, James Kahn, um, what did you find out about James Kahn when you did your research, Dee? Uh,
1: he actually was going to turn down the role, but it was after he read the script again that he decided he wanted to take it. And in the movie, Piccolo is slower than Sayers, but in real life, Kahn is actually faster than Williams. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So they had to mm-hmm.
1: make him look slower. <laughs>
0: Um, and yeah, James Khan a relative unknown at this right, point, both right? both of
1: them were, yes. And this is right before he got the part in The Godfather.
0: Yeah, which is, uh, and James Conn, um, uh still m- making films uh, uh, as of fairly recently.
1: But his most recent that we love is
0: Elf. Oh. <laughs> yes, Yes, he is Buddy's father in, in Elf. If you uh, haven't have seen him in a long time, you'll know that one.
1: But one of my favorite parts about, like, with the character with Piccolo, and I this might be really um, reading into it too much, but I actually relate to him a lot. Not the humility part. He's very, <laughs> he's a, he, but the not taking himself too seriously, and also he's shorter than, than most for the position he played, and he's not as quick. So he had to make up for it in heart. and. Um,
0: yeah, well, yeah, part of the the, the story that's so, um, again, that makes the friendship so compelling is... Sayers
1: takes himself too seriously. I mean, even when he gets hurt, you can see he's just devastated, and here you have Piccolo, where it's like, come on, man. I <laughs> Yeah. I've got half the talent you have, but I'm working...
0: Yeah, Piccolo is just this really outgoing guy. He's a, he's a cut-up. He's a comedian. Um,
1: but every team needs to have somebody that doesn't take themselves too seriously to help the people who are the athletes yeah. that do take themselves too seriously. Yeah,
0: well, and, and Sayers is also just introverted in the yes. extreme, yes. just painfully shy, Um, So you've got this stark contrast between the two, and and almost immediately Piccolo sees that Sayers is this um, really kind of repressed and um, hard-to-reach guy. And from the very first scene, and again, it really jumps into the action right away, they're meeting at training camp, and Piccolo jokes with Sayers about how shy he is, and then he plants this idea in, in Sayers' head. He's, he's uh, Sayers is going to go in to meet the head coach, George Hallis, legendary NFL coach played by the great actor uh, Jack Warden, and Piccolo just at the last second. And, and again, Khan con- gives such a great performance. And they do a really nice job of just showing his face in this opening scene. And you can just see by the way his eyes are darting around that he is thinking of some kind of scheme all the time. And it begins immediately when he ta- tells Gail Sayers, when you go in to talk to Coach uh, Hallis, you got to be careful because he's, he's, he's deaf in one of his ears. So, you got to stay on his right side. And... The, the scene where Sayers goes in to talk to Hallis is really just priceless. In just a few minutes, they've got Sayers every time Hallis turns around, and of course, they construct the scene so that completely oblivious to what's going on, Hallis keeps turning what. Sayers thinks is his bad ear toward him and Sayers is sneaking around to the other side to talk to him and eventually Halas just says, Gail, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and then Sayers figures out he's been punked.
1: Right, but I mean, when you're watching the scene and you figure out that he's been punked, you're kind of like, is this Piccolo guy a jerk? And then throughout the movie, you just realize, mm. I mean, he wouldn't even hurt a. it's just all lighthearted.
0: Yeah. And, and
1: he, but at first you're kind of like, "Is this this guy's a schmuck.
0: Yeah, uh, but no, he's just he's just a practical joker. Oh,
1: he's a gem. He's
0: and, a gem. Yeah, and he is he's just funny as hell. And and again, the dialogue for this movie is really well written. Um, and in addition to being really funny, there is this tension. Uh, Piccolo is uh, although he was born in Massachusetts, he grows up in Florida and he goes to school in the South. He is a white guy growing up in the South. And it's in the 1960s, and even though he's a pretty open-minded guy, he's got a lot of uh, just the typical uh, racist baggage that most uh, white guys are carrying around, and so there is a little bit of tension between the two, like when uh, they tell Gail Sayers first that these guys are going to be rooming together, Piccolo finds out. Later, And his initial reaction is, well, it would have been nice if they would have asked me first. They've also got, uh, in the film, a lot of dialogue where uh, Piccolo makes lots of racist jokes to Sayers, and it's understood that because they're becoming friends now, he can kind of tease him about this kind of stuff, and Sayers never takes it the wrong way, but at the same time, you're, you're just aware that there is this real tension in the world around them, and they are having to negotiate this as part of their friendship. How, how do we get along? Um, and actually, one of the things that Gale Sayers did say about the film later was he thought, well, maybe they made too much of a, a big deal about the racial differences. Um, Again, it's a really short film, and in almost every other scene, there's some kind of little joke or interplay or some kind of talk about race, but I don't think the reality was that Piccolo didn't say those sorts of things and they didn't happen, but rather that maybe they uh, highlighted them more in the the film than Sayers felt was uh, true to life, but I think it's one of the things that makes the film so good, Um, so you definitely have to have that in there. Um. So, all right, let's let's talk about um, just a little bit more about the reality of this. Uh, the Bears are not a real good team. They never never actually have um, a great season while these two players are there. But they do capture. Uh, I think the a, a very they they use real footage. I was going to
1: say when we were watching this, I was like, how did they shoot this?
0: Yeah, they got real footage from NFL films, right, yeah. so you're seeing all uh, you're seeing Gail Sayers. But Gail
1: Sayers, you can imagine that it's actually Williams that's running. But yeah, he actually has the same. He looks like he, I so I kind of thought it was. Yeah. But I couldn't figure out how he would be that athletic where he's jumping over.
0: Yeah, no players. these. Yeah, it's yeah it's real highlight f- uh, footage of Gail Sayers um, and Brian Piccolo too. There's not a whole lot of highlight footage because he had a, such a short career, but they do show the real Brian Piccolo. They're all long shots, so you can't tell that they are not the actors. And they actually do a pretty good job of, like, when they show uh, Billy D. Williams and James Khan on the sidelines, they've got a crowd of people behind them in the stadium, and you can you can kind of feel like that's the same scene as those those highlight shots it blends together pretty well um, so let's let's talk about um, why is this a guy cry film and I think one of the things that women need to understand
1: oh. yes, is tell. Me.
0: First of all, it's a football movie. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so is, how this are you
1: going to get to the people who are like, I don't, I could give to whatever less about football, about sports.
0: Right. But so uh, why should they care about this yeah, film? Yeah. It's it's really it's it's a film as much about football, and it's as much about friendship, and it's as much about race as it is about football. But even more, I think it's a story about masculinity, and I think that's why it's a guy fry, guy cry film. You've got icons of masculinity in here. Professional football players are as manly a men as you're ever going to find. And one of the things that we know about men, generally speaking, okay, not true of all men, but if we're going to talk about broad generalities of differences between men and women, one of the things in our society in particular is that men tend to be less expressive and have a harder time showing, expressing, dealing with their own emotions. And that's a huge part of what's going on in the film. And if you think about Gail Sayers, not only is he this great football player, But he's also this extreme introvert. He has difficulty forming friendships because he's not very talkative. He has difficulty expressing. When when he gets hurt, he has difficulty processing the fear and the anger that he feels when he thinks his career might be over. There's that little scene between Gail and his wife where he's coming home from the hospital and he's on the crutches and she's trying to talk to him about what's going to happen you know so I go pick up the kids or whatever and it's like he just can't he can't express himself he's just angry and he kind of takes it out on his wife and gee that's kind of what men do. Um, expressing Genuine affection, especially affection for another man. This is a you know heteronormative culture that we're living in. Hypermasculine football culture, the idea of forming a close friendship with another man to be able to say I love you to another man, or uh, to say I love Brian Piccolo as Gail Sayers eventually does in the film, a huge burden, a, a huge obstacle for men to overcome.
1: Part this is the first bromance on screen, I would say.
0: Yeah, that that I, I think that might be a, well...
1: And the cast was so close that it was incredibly believable, I mean, as well as the beautiful dialogue. Yeah. The great script. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, while I was watching, I was thinking, he's closer with Brian Piccolo than he is with his wife.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to... to Yeah, why do guys cry when they see this film? Well, what are you going to see? You're going to see Gale Sayers not only express his affection and his friendship for for Brian Piccolo. It begins when uh, Brian helps him rehab his knee injury and they go for that run in the park. And then it becomes clear because uh, Sayers wins the race that he's healthy again and, um, you know, Brian says, you know, I think I owe you a beer. And Gail says, I think I owe you a lot more than that. Um, Okay, so that's expressing that that friendship. That's a hurdle. But then when Brian is diagnosed with cancer, it's Gail. The the coaches tell Gail first, and then they say, well, who's going to tell the team? And Gail says, I'm going to tell him. And they say, you, Gail? And he says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go tell the team. And so you have this incredibly talented football player, this icon of masculinity. He's going to go up in front of his teammates in the locker room. He's going to bring himself to speak in public, which is something is, that's incredibly difficult for him. And he's going to break down and cry when he's talking about Brian's illness and then later in the film he's going to accept an award and by this time he has started to overcome his fear of public speaking a little bit. He gives a very short speech but is very elegant and he's going to get up in front of all these people and say, I love Brian Piccolo and that famous line, And when you hit your knees tonight to pray, I want you to ask God to love him too. Just think about all these repressed men, football fans, watching this film who have difficulty processing their own emotions, expressing their own emotions, and seeing Gale Sayers get up and do that. It's as if he's channeling what what's going on inside of them and saying, you know, this is the pathway. You can actually express some emotion and it's not going to cost you your masculinity in the process. I think that that's why this is a guy cry film. I mean, a lot of women look at this film, I'm guessing, and say, well, yes, of course it's sad. Well, yes, of course you want to cry, but it's like, why not do that all the time? Why is this such a big yeah. deal? And for men, it's like... Well, again,
1: like- I, while I was watching it, I wasn't thinking about it. But then after, it's like... because I mean, because you do show your emotions in front of me for the most part. And my dad didn't... I mean, he doesn't talk about really hard stuff. But, I mean, he's cried in front of me. He's been soft. So it, it's not something I haven't witnessed before. So, it, But I realized culturally at the time and still now where it needs to be. Something
0: that men say, yeah, boys can cry. Yeah, well, and I sure as men hell can cry. Wouldn't have seen any of this kind of stuff when I say And I saw this movie, of course, because I am a boomer. Right. I saw this movie when it first came out, which means I was seven years old. Yeah. Um, and I've got a brother who's ten years older than me, and a, and a father, and they're both just typical men. My bro- brother was a football player, and he was a really kind of a tough guy, and um, no, you were not going to see them crying. You were not going to hear them telling other men that they loved them or um, that sort of thing. So to see this in a movie is just, uh, again, it, I think it's a liberating and an empowering um, experience, especially for men who've watched this, who haven't had a whole lot of access to that sort of um, License to, to, to show their emotions. So um, I think that's more than anything else, more than the football, more than the race, more than um, just the, the pure friendship. I think that's what's so cool about this, this movie.
1: But also, why couldn't the underdog get a break? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, he's shorter. He's not as fast, but he's got this huge heart. And then he actually finally gets... A position on the starting team, yeah, and he gets cancer. But also, you don't hear him being saying, you know, why me? Or I mean, he's just who he is, even up till the end. And it's just heartbreaking. It's how can I be more like that? Yeah, will I be like that if something like that happens to me?
0: Although there is one thing. I mean, one thing that I think is interesting is you've got. You know, Brian Piccolo is this really gregarious guy, but when he finds out he has cancer, they don't actually show the scene where the doctors tell him you've got cancer, yeah. but they do have a scene later in the in the film where he's finding out that he's got to have yet another surgery, which is another way of saying your odds are diminishing rapidly here that you're ever going to recover from this. And when the doctor, or actually an administrator from the hospital, comes in to get him to sign release forms, and he breaks this news to Brian, Brian is speechless, he turns his back, he goes into a corner, Um, he can't say anything, and it's Gail. Gail is the one who talks to the doctor to explain. Gail becomes the channel for... Brian Piccolo's emotions at that point. That's how far he's progressed in well, large part thanks to Brian. Asked,
1: yeah. Brian's wife asked Gail to be there. Yeah. And I can't imagine that she would have really grasped that that what Gail ended up doing is what Brian wanted. So it was just how close they are.
0: Yeah, how close they are and how far Gail has come.
1: Right, so that ended up being the... Knee injury, where he ended up being able to kind of pay it forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is, it, it, we we didn't talk about that a whole lot, but yeah. It, in in real life, Gail Sayers has this really serious knee, knee injury, and in the movie, they show that it, it Brian Piccolo is right there. Immediately after the surgery, saying, basically, I'm going to help you through this rehab. I'm going to force you to do this rehab. And when Gail is kind of like, wants to have his own little pity party and say, you know, you don't know what I'm going through and, you know, stay away from me or whatever... That's when Brian says, You can put that in your ditty bag, you jackass. And he explains to him Can
1: you explain to me what a Diddy bag is?
0: I don't know what a Diddy bag. I have no idea what a ditty bag is, but it's a great line. It's a great line. And you should have a shirt. We really should I Bunker think we sh- we should all use the expression diddy, diddy bag, bag a whole lot more because Bring it, it sounds so cool. You jackass. Yes. Put that in your ditty bag. But anyway, yeah, that's when Brian explains to him, no, I've, I've been second fiddle my whole life, and I'm going to become the starter now, but it's only because you're hurt, and everybody's going to say, well, it's only because Gail Sayers is hurt that Brian is getting to play, and Brian says, no, I'm going to come back and compete with you next year, but you got to be 100%, or it's not going to mean anything to me. And then, of course, after that, it turns out Brian Piccolo actually progresses to the point, as an athlete, that he gets switched from backup running back to starting fullback, even though he's really too small for that position, and they're starting together in the backfield. But that is the season in which Brian Piccolo, in real life, he actually takes himself out of a game and everybody's like what the hell is going on why would Brian Piccolo take himself out of a game and it's because he's really really sick and he does not even survive a year um after that incident it turns out that he's got uh, a form of cancer it actually started as testicular cancer um but somehow it ends up that he's got these, these tumors in his chest cavity. I always thought, when I, when I first watched the movie, I thought he had lung cancer. He did actually have um, part of his lung removed, but it was, uh, um, let's see, what do they call it? Um, he had to have uh, oh his entire left lung and pectoral uh, muscle removed. It was, um, oh, what's the term? Embryonal cell carcinoma, but it started as testicular cancer. Um, and then, yeah, after it, it, it goes to his lung it goes to his liver, um, and again, he doesn't. He really doesn't survive long. He actually dies during the off season. He dies in in June um, of that next year. And uh, real life, uh, Gail Sayers plays a little while after that. But by nineteen seventy one, uh, Gail Sayers is pretty much done with with football. So, uh, let's see what else do we want to talk about with this this film.
1: Well, some more.
0: We can talk tidbits. about. The, a little bit more about the cast, maybe? Yeah. Uh, so
1: the woman who plays Gail's wife, Linda? Yeah. Is played by Judy Pace Flood. And I guess actually she had a role with Williams before that, so they had already worked together.
0: Oh, I did not know that. Yes.
1: I can't remember what. It was another TV series. Okay. But her husband. She's the widow of late MLB all-star Kurt Flood.
0: Kurt Flood, famous if so yeah, if you yeah. Kurt if you are a baseball fan, you know who Kurt Flood is because um, Kurt Flood was one of the first uh, players to to say um, I I shouldn't have to be s- stuck playing for the same team for my whole career. And when he got traded, uh, Flood said, "Well, I'm not going to go to the other team. I'm going to." Uh, opt out of my contract and become a free agent. And his case actually ends up getting um, held up in in court, but it paves the way for free agency, not only in baseball, but in in all sports. Uh, So, yeah, Kurt Flood was really a pioneer and incredibly intelligent man. I think he had studied law um, on his own. I'm not sure about that, but... um, A famous baseball player, and he had been a great center fielder for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals in the in the nineteen sixties. So, yeah, uh, that was Judy Pace. Uh, Brian's wife is played by Shelley Faberis.
1: Oh yeah, so Linda was, or Judy was a huge fan of her since. She did some child acting or some younger Yeah, she had
0: been mostly television, but she had been... And, and Yeah, I looked at her filmography. It was mostly stuff that I did not um, remember, but she had started acting in childhood, continued through her teenage years, and actually worked quite a while, uh, even after this film was made, too. So she wasn't a huge Hollywood film star, um, but did lots and lots of TV work. As did Judy. Uh, we uh, we said Billy Dee Williams. Uh, you know, most people now know him from
1: Star Wars. From
0: Star Wars, yes. and they actually brought him back for the most recent Spoiler. Star Wars. Yeah, um, but of course, you knew they were going to bring everybody back who was still alive, including some people who were no longer alive for the last Star Wars. Um, But, yeah, he did tons and tons of TV work, mostly. Um, He was considered a pretty big star in the day, although, again, not so much on the um, film screen, more in TV. Um, Oh, you also found a little bit of trivia about casting, who was uh, initially supposed to play... um,
1: Fiddler from...
0: Yeah, Louis Gossett, Gossett Jr., who... um, if you've ever seen An Officer and a Gentleman, or, oh, actually, Roots, um, the TV mini miniseries that came out uh, a little after this TV movie did, the first version of Roots. Um, he's in that. Um, Jack Warden is a famous actor. Uh, tons and tons of film credits. Um, maybe his first standout role uh, role was uh, he was one of the jurors in twelve angry men um, we love him another one of our favorite movies that we'll probably talk about someday all the president's men he's one of the editors at the Washington post uh, in that film uh, he was an interesting guy to uh, he was a World War II veteran uh, fought in the Battle of the Bulge um, and was, uh, I guess, a pretty good athlete himself in his younger days. And uh, as we said, George Hallis, the uh, the man he portrays in the, in the film, was a famous, famous coach, long time with the Bears. Um, one little note, they actually, one of the liberties they took uh, in making this film is that they kept him on the team, and actually George Hallis had retired um, before they got to the point where uh, Brian Piccolo is diagnosed with cancer. And it's actually a little odd because they have... He's in that locker room scene, of course... um, but they don't have him in the hospital, and I think it probably got a, to be a little bit awkward to figure out, well, how do we write him into Brian's death when he wasn't actually the coach of the team, but they really wanted him there for that locker room scene, didn't want to introduce a new coach and confuse the plot that way. But um, anyway, so that uh, um, that's pretty much the whole cast. Oh, the, uh, one other notable, Bernie Casey. Uh, he plays... Uh, J.C. Caroline, uh, who's like the team captain, um, and actually in real life, uh, that there was a J.C. Caroline. He did retire actually after the rookie season of both uh, uh, Sayers and Piccolo. Um, but Bernie Casey was um, a formal, former NFL. Player, he was actually uh, a Pro Bowl wide receiver, and had retired from playing football just a few years earlier. And he went on to have um, a pretty lengthy film career. And he's actually, you can tell in this in this movie, he's a very good actor. Um, he's not believable just because he's a football player. Um, he's believable because he's a uh, because he's a good actor. Um, okay, so. Um, Kind of final pitch for this film. We picked it again because it's a football movie, but um, I really don't think you'd have to know much about football at all to enjoy this film. Um, It doesn't get into very many technicals of of football, and uh, if you can't appreciate watching highlights of Gail Sayers' run with the football uh, even if you don't understand what's going on in a football, then there's something wrong with you. Um, watching Gale Sayers run with a football is a little like watching ballet, only it's improvised. Um, so yeah, this is—it's a movie about again—it's—it's it's about friendship, it's about race, and it's about masculinity and.
1: Don't take yourself too seriously and be a good friend.
0: Yeah, and yeah, figure out how to express yourself, men. It's okay. It's okay to cry. Women, if, if, if you've never seen your man cry and you're not sure he's, he's able to, force him to watch this film. Make him cry in front of you and make him deal with that. Maybe he'll be a better man as a result.
1: And he'll
0: live his life. Yes. Uh, yeah, because it's. Um, Brian Piccolo is remembered not for how he died, but for how he lived, for how he did live. live.